21 years ago today, the, the world as we know it changed. Around the time many of us were getting dressed to come here this morning, 21 years ago, news poured into our box TVs of a tragic accident. On a clear Tuesday morning, a plane somehow had had gone off course and hit the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. It was 8.46 a.m. 18 minutes later, a Boeing 767 airplane appeared out of the sky as some of us watched on TV and headed directly towards the South Tower, slicing through the building. It was clear this was no accident. America was under attack. A flood of emotion swept across our country, shock and horror, grief, sadness, anger. And while many brave men and women rushed into the towers to rescue victims, most of America was wondering, what can we do? Many church leaders and church members asked that question that fateful day. And they answered it by organizing impromptu prayer meetings that Tuesday evening. And floods of people poured in to pray to God together about these horrible events. Bad news often brings us to our knees. But this morning, we want to consider not only that, but how good news should bring us to our knees together as well. How the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ has done to save sinners by his perfect life and sacrificial death and resurrection from the grave, how what Jesus Jesus has done produces a prayerful people. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2? As we look at verses 42 through 47 together. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you're using one of the Bibles under the chairs, you can find it on page 911. Interesting, right? It's kind of crazy. (laughs) That is crazy. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who, were, who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, over the last four weeks, we've been walking through each of the kind of four marks of a biblical church that we see highlighted in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. How the people, the apostles, the early church, God's people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread. And this morning we'll conclude that series as we look at the marks of a biblical church by looking at that last 
Mark in verse 42, they devoted themselves to prayer. And from that mark, here's the main idea that, that I think we see emphasized, that we want to emphasize this morning. So the main idea of the sermon. True churches pray together. Amen. Very simple. True churches pray together. Now we all know how sermons on topics like prayer and evangelism can be guilt-inducing and not always spiritually encouraging. I mean, who among us shares the gospel enough? Uh, who among us prays as often as we like? But my aim is not for this to be that kind of sermon. I want us to be encouraged to pray and to pray together. That is, often when we think about praying, it, it's private prayer that's emphasized. But we want to think about not simply praying in our quiet time or off on our own somewhere. That's great and necessary. But this morning, what we need to emphasize is the importance and the impact of corporate prayer. Yes. The people of God praying together. And as we do so, we'll hang our thoughts around three questions that will serve as a kind of three points to the sermon. Number one, why pray together? Why pray together? Number two, what happens when we pray together? And number three, how should we pray together? So why pray together? What happens when we pray together? And then thirdly, what, how should we pray together? First, why pray together? Well, because the Bible says so. We can simply start and stop there. The Bible instructs God's people to pray together. I mean, here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see it by example. The early church devoted themselves to prayer. Or consider Matthew chapter 6, where we see it by expectation. In Matthew 6, this famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his disciples, starting in verse 5, when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Uh, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now there's a lot to unpack there, but just for now, just notice that Jesus expects his disciples to pray together. It's not if you pray, but over and over when you pray. And yes, there are some private times when you pray in your own room, but there's also corporate times when you pray together. On several instances there in that passage on the Lord's Supper, when Jesus says, when you pray, the you is plural. It's when y'all pray. It's corporate prayer. 
which is highlighted again when Jesus says to address God as our Father. Jesus instructs us to pray together. Or consider the, the Apostle Paul's instructions to churches where he gives explicit commands to pray. Writing to Timothy, the, the pastor of the Ephesian church, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. That's not just Paul's personal instruction to Timothy, but to the entire Ephesian church. Oh, think about what he tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. He tells the Thessalonian church that they are to pray without ceasing. It's a command to the entire church. So in a very real sense, we pray together because we believe the Bible to be true. And because we believe the Bible to be true and authoritative, then we do what the Bible says. We pray together. And that's one reason why we pray together on Sunday mornings in obedience to God's word. We believe the Bible is over us and orders everything that we do together. But, you know, we also pray together, not simply because of what we believe about the Bible, but because of what we believe about God. J.I. Packer says that true praying is an activity built upon a theology, built upon what we believe about God and what we believe about our relationship with God. Maybe you've only thought about prayer as an activity, as a duty, but not thought about the depths behind that duty. I mean, we see in Acts chapter 2, the, the believers devoting themselves to prayer. But all kinds of people carry out that duty. I mean, Muslims pray, Hindus pray, Buddhists pray. What's different about Christians praying? Well, Christians pray. Not simply to get something from God, working to win some favor from him. Christians pray because we've received God's favor, because we have a relationship with God. And something has happened that has given us that relationship. But pastor, don't we all have a relationship with God? Well, yes. We all naturally have a relationship with God. But as was true with many of our relationships in high school and in college, it's the wrong kind of relationship. I mean, consider how the Bible describes us as enemies of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. As strangers and aliens. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. As separated, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. One sister writes, these are anti-relational terms that describe us sinful people. Now, often it's said that, that all people are God's children, that God is our friend, that God is for us. Those terms are thrown around quite frequently as universally true. But they're only true of a specific set of people. All of us naturally have a relationship with God, but not as family or friend, but as foe. And perhaps the question of this first point of, of why pray together is especially on your mind this morning. Because you think it's pointless to pray. And you think it's pointless because you've prayed to God and he hasn't answered your prayers. 
your friends, your parents, your loved ones have prayed and God has been silent. I mean, that's, that's sometimes the reason that people cast off any hope, any belief in God at all. I prayed to God, they say, and he didn't do anything to help me. But God isn't obligated to help you. He isn't duty bound to deliver us, to respond to us, to bless us simply because we've asked. Not when we consider our natural relation to him. I mean, if we had an avowed enemy who day and night sought our demise, who worked tirelessly to take our job, who kept trying over and over to kick us out of our home, who daily disrespected us by being dismissive of our presence, who ignored us whenever we were around, or openly insulted us by turning their backs whenever we talked to them. And then that same person turned and asked, give me $10,000. We wouldn't feel the slightest responsibility to just give them what they asked for. And yet with God, we who sought to take his job and rule our own lives, who sought to kick him off his throne in heaven and install ourselves as king or queen, who've ignored him and insulted him with all our words and all our deeds, we feel like whenever we ask him something, he has the obligation to do what we demand. But what right do we have to make those demands? We're not in the right relationship to do so. The Bible says God has absolutely no commitment to hear and answer the prayers of committed sinners. Amen. I mean, remember what the man born blind whom Jesus healed told the Pharisees in John chapter 9. The Pharisees claimed that Jesus was a sinful man and so he could not have healed this man. But the man born blind rebutted. That couldn't be true. His reasoning? John chapter 9 verse 31. Because we know that God does not listen to sinners. That was a seemingly commonly understood fact. God is not obligated to hear or work for those who are against him. Is what's emphasized in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, that our sins have hidden God's face from us so that he does not hear. Or Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9, if one turns his ear away from hearing God's law, then even his prayer is an abomination. None of us have a rightful claim to call on God and to expect him to answer us. Because the right relationship that we were supposed to have with God, one filled with love and joy and favor and communion, was ruined by our sin. Our sin cuts us off from God. It separated us from him. And that's what we see with Adam and Eve's sin. Their immediate access to God was destroyed and they became distant. And their sin and that separation has spread to all people after them. But God has sought to have a relationship with us. God did not destroy Adam and Eve. He promised that there would be a seed to come from Eve who would destroy sin and Satan and restore the relationship gone wrong with us. God was taking the initiative to make things right. But who would this seed be? 
Eve gave birth to Cain and Abel, but Cain was evil and killed his brother Abel. So God provided another seed, Seth. At his birth, Eve said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Maybe this is the seed that God promised. But Seth simply lived and died and gave birth to Enosh, his son, before he died. But you know, a, a little sentence that, that, that is inserted in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, right at this point, it, it tells us then that at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. In his excellent biblical theology on prayer, Gary Millar says that this is the first instance of prayer in the Bible. At the reality that the seed that God promised could not be produced simply by man's workings or man's will, men came to the conclusion that they can do nothing better than to call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. To pray to him, Lord, you must do what you have promised because we can't produce it on our own. Amen. In other words, it's God's promises to rescue. And it's God's pursuit of us that provokes our prayers. In the unfolding of time, we learn that, that God's promised seed ended up being God's perfect son. Jesus Christ came and he died for us as a substitute for our sins. And he rose up from the grave to reconcile sinners to God. Reconcile sinners like us as fully forgiven in God's sight. As children of God. United to Jesus, the eternal son of God. Through repentance and faith in Jesus, we are adopted into God's family and have access to God as our father. Yeah. That's why Jesus instructed his disciples to call God their father. He really is our father through Jesus. Amen. God has bridged the gap that, that stood between heaven and hardened humanity through Jesus. He has saved sinners and put us together in local churches. And one of the main evidences of our newfound status as saved from sin and not slaves to sin, as members of God's family and not misfits seeking God's fall, is that we pray to God together. Amen. The activity of prayer is a sign that we have been united to the Lord and to one another as we call upon him together as our father. Amen. It signifies that we depend upon him and no longer are trying to dethrone him. That prayer is one of our most public professions of faith. It's one of the most potent products of the gospel. You see, God redeemed us for a relationship. Just as in the Old Testament, when God redeemed the people of Israel, when he rescued them from Egypt, it was for a relationship. God commanded Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me, so that they can come to me. Well, so it is with the gospel. Christ redeemed us, rescued us from sin for a relationship with God. And we demonstrate that we have a right relationship with God, a loving relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God by going to God and talking to him. 
I mean, how do a husband and a wife show that they've resolved a conflict? That there's no more animosity between them? It's not by continuing to, to give each other the silent treatment, but by talking with one another. When wounds are healed, words pour out. How much more than when the wounded relationship with God that we had that was caused by our sin is healed by the wounds of God's very own son. Look at the depths of his love. The lengths he's gone to win us back, to restore our relationship with him. He sent his own son to die for us. He wanted us. He wanted us to be near to him. And in Christ, we are near and dear to the Lord. And he wants to hear from us. Heaven is not hard. God's ear is not closed. He is not against us, but for us. And so we call out to God together as his redeemed people, as his children, as his church to do what he's promised. To sovereignly rule the world to save sinners, to strengthen us, to stir us up to love, to satisfy our needs, to sweeten our affections for him, to sour our taste for sin, to show us his glory, and to straighten our paths to heaven. Why pray together? Because together we've been saved. Together we've been given access to God and all heaven's resources to fight sin and forge ahead in faith. Why pray together? How could we not pray together? Considering all the Lord has done for us. What can we render for all his benefits? What a privilege it is then to carry everything to God in prayer. Together. Friends, that's what we see all throughout the book of Acts. The people redeemed by God constantly run to the throne room of God in prayer together, carrying all kinds of requests to him. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that the 12 disciples with the women and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers were in an upper room. And the text tells us they were in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. Later in Acts chapter 1, verse 24, they all prayed for the Lord to show who would replace Judas as a disciple. In Acts 2.42 that we just read, these initial believers were multiplied with more than 3,000 believers making up the first church. And what did this church of baptized believers do? They devoted themselves to prayer. In Acts 4, the church prayed for boldness to keep testifying of Christ amidst affliction. In Acts 6, the apostles serving as kind of proto-elders, they they told the church that they had to to, to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and to to prayer. In Acts 13, the church at Antioch was fasting and praying for direction to guide their mission. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas and the churches at Lystra and at Derbe and Iconium and Antioch all prayed as elders were appointed in all the churches. What's the point? Prayer is what pours out from God's people, showcasing the power of the gospel to restore our relationship with God and to one another. We pray together as proof of our collective communion with the almighty God of heaven and his favor toward us in Christ. There's 
No more wrath. No more distance. Only welcome. The Lord says, come. Our prayers say, God is pleased with us. Our prayers say that we delight in God. Our prayers say we trust in God. Our prayers say we need God, and so we pray. But what happens when we pray together? Point number two, what happens when we pray together? Well, first, God is worshipped. God gets honor and glory when his people call out to him. When we show our total dependence upon him and not ourselves. When we show that we believe that he is all powerful and all sufficient for every circumstance. I mean, prayerlessness is a form of pride, of self-exaltation. Maybe not explicitly, but prayerlessness says we can handle things on our own just fine without you. Thanks very much. Our budget is big enough to, to handle any kind of issue. Our building space, beautiful enough or big enough and spacious enough to attract anybody. Our, our giftings, special enough to, to draw and delight people. <laughs> what do we need God for? But prayerfulness says we need the Lord badly. Amen. And we trust him to help us. I mean, just think of what we show when we carve out time in our lives together as a church to pray on Sunday mornings or on Sunday evenings. With not just a passing two-sentence utterance to God to, to get on with the rest of the program, but when we carve out time for long, intentional, passionate prayers. Or just think of the message it sends to, to non-believers, to non-Christians, as we talk unhurriedly to a being that we can't see. It says, yes, God is invisible, but he is not imaginary. He is real and knowable and good and big and trustworthy, and we rely on him. Amen. That's the message that we preach to one another when we pray together. We strengthen each other's faith in God. Have you ever been, been praying with other believers and you, you hear certain saints pray? And it's just a, another level of depth, yeah. of sincerity, of genuineness of closeness to God in them. When you hear those things, it should not make us jealous that we don't pray like that. It should make us zealous to know God like that. Amen. Praying together puts God on display. God is exalted and honored when we pray to him. Amen. The prayer is part of our worship. So friends, on Sunday mornings, you shouldn't arrive just before the sermon so you can hear the word preached. Yes, the, the sermon might be the main meat of the meal, but you will spiritually shrivel up with small thoughts of God and inadequate devotion to him if you only receive the word but don't rightly respond to it. All right. If you miss out on the vegetables of corporate prayer. Amen. We worship God by, by praying to him. That's why you should plan to come and then come to our Sunday evening service. Matter of fact, we're just going to start calling it our prayer meeting, right? Just to take all kind of ambiguity to it, right? That's our prayer meeting. You should come as we pray together as a church. Amen. It's a time to continue worshiping God together in prayer. 
God is exalted when we pray together. Well, something else happens when we pray. Not only is God honored simply by our praying, but he gets further glory and we get deeper faith when he answers our prayers. So a second thing that happens when we pray together is that our prayers are answered. Let me look back with me at some instances of this in, in the book of Acts. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1 in your Bibles. Acts chapter 1. And look at verse 3. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And Luke tells us that he presented himself alive to his disciples after his suffering by many proofs. Let me just stop there and just, just notice that, friends, Jesus really did get up from the grave. Right, Luke means to highlight, no, he did this thing and he showed it by many proofs. As we go on, we see that Luke says, and he appeared to the disciples for 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them, the disciples, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. I'll drop down to, to verse 8, where Jesus promises, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then look down at, at verse 12. We read that the disciples returned to Jerusalem, just as Jesus had ordered them to go and stay in Jerusalem. And what were they doing there? Well, verse 13 says they entered into an upper room and verse 14 says these all with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. What were they praying for? Well, I think it was for what Jesus had just promised them to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. As we said earlier, the Lord's promises provoke our prayers. And as Acts chapter 2 opens up, what do we see? On the day of Pentecost, a sound from heaven came like the, 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 the roaring of a rushing wind. And Acts chapter 2 verse 4 says, all the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And later in Acts 2, we read that Peter stands up and preaches the gospel. What Jesus said was going to happen that the disciples would receive the Holy Spirit and be his witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, came to pass. How? Through the disciples praying. They prayed and God answered their prayer. We see it all throughout Acts. Turn a few pages over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. The apostles Peter and, and John have been faithfully proclaiming the gospel at the temple. But not everyone wants to hear it. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them. Then drop down to, to verse 18 of, of chapter 4. They called them from the prison and they charged them not to speak or, or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then down to verse 21, where we read that they, they further threatened them and then let them go. 
And what did Peter and John do when set free? Well, look at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. You know, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and do signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. They prayed together. And what happened? Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The church prayed together for boldness to keep speaking the word of Christ boldly, even in the face of threats, and God heard and God answered. Amen. The place where they were praying shook, and they kept speaking the word of God with boldness. Friends, we could go on and on and on with examples from the book of Acts. If you looked at Acts chapter 12, verse 5, where Peter is in prison, but it says that earnest prayer was being made by the church. And what happened? An angel came and rescued Peter from prison. And when he was released, he went to the house where the people were all gathered together, still praying. <laughs> the answer to their prayers was knocking at the door. Saints, God answers when his people pray together. But maybe you think that's only what he did for them then. Back in biblical times. As if it was some kind of far away, foregone era of prayer and provision. But friends, the same God they prayed to is the same God we pray to. The same relationship they had with God through Christ is the exact same relationship that we have with God through Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he delights to hear from and answer the request of his children. He is still in the business of answering our prayers when we pray to him. I mean, think about all the things we've prayed together for as a church over the years that God has answered. We've prayed together for elders. And this spring, we, we installed our brother Warner as an elder here at Temple Hills Baptist Church, which he's served faithfully in since then. We've prayed together for pregnancies and for healthy babies to be born. And as we look around the life of our church and see little Elliot, 
As we see uh, Amelia and Carmen and Carter and Zara and Roman and Jordan and Leah and Chloe and George and Gwen and Kezia and Renee, what do we see? Answers to prayer. Amen. Amen. We've prayed together for conversions in our families. And we've gotten to witness our brother Kevin's granddaughter and our sister Shantae's niece, Tierra, get converted. We got to bear witness to her baptism in April. And we've since then gotten to see continued signs of her sincere faith as she confesses sin and turns away from it. Amen. We've prayed together for a successful back-to-school event this past summer for, for all the logistical planning and that the Lord would work to, to help us meet and make relationships with neighbors. By God's grace, that event went incredibly well. We made a lot of contacts and made I met a few people, some of which have been coming to church the last few weeks. We've prayed together for successful surgeries and medical procedures, for Stephanie Squire's hand or Stephanie Dula's knee, for procedures our sisters Dominique and Zaina have had. We've prayed the Lord would bring them through those things, and he has. We've seen him give Stephanie Johnson's mom a clean bill of health, no cancer. He heard our prayers and he delivered. Amen. We prayed together for God to, to raise up and send out missionaries from our congregation. And we saw God send out the Sparks family to go serve in Mozambique and to plant good gospel seeds. Seeds that continue to bear good fruit, even though the Sparks are now back in the States. Our brother Harvey and the church he now pastors in Oklahoma are planning a trip to Mozambique this fall to go serve and strengthen the saints there. We've prayed together for marriages. And praise God, we've seen him unite our sister Shantae and our brother Adam together in marriage. We've seen God unite our sister Antoinette and our brother Mark together in marriage. We've seen God unite our sister Rhonda and our brother Rick together in marriage. We've seen God unite our sister Constance and our brother Will together in marriage. And we've seen him sustain many other of our marriages even through intense trials. We've prayed together for new jobs or potential promotions. Amen. Friends, some of the positions you have now are positions we've prayed for. We've prayed together for our evangelism, that we be faithful witnesses for Jesus wherever the Lord has us. And we've seen God give our sister Nicole opportunities to use books to talk about the incarnation to some of her students. We've seen God give our brother Joe the courage to, to use Panera Bread as an outpost to tell people about Jesus, the bread of life. Amen. We pray together for the faithful preaching of God's word here at Temple Hills Baptist Church. Amen. And praise God that he's filled this pulpit with faithful brothers week after week for a number of years who open up God's word and simply preach what's there in season and out of season. Amen. Saints, when we pray together, God answers. Amen. Now, cynicism would say, uh, those things were probably going to happen anyway. It's just coincidence that you called out to God and they just happened to have happened. But faith says, no, God answers prayers. Amen. Satan would say God is distant and removed. He don't hear you. He don't care about you. He don't answer your prayers. But faith says, look at his faithfulness. No, God answers prayers. Our selves might say, but look at all the prayers he hasn't answered. Mm. 
I mean, yes, we've prayed together for pregnancies and healthy babies, but look at all the couples among us still struggling with infertility. Yes, we've prayed together for marriages, but look at all the singles still desiring marriage. Look at all the marriages still struggling. Yes, we've prayed together for conversions, but look at all the family members still unconverted. But faith says, well, we ain't done praying yet. We're going to keep praying together, keep trusting in our Heavenly Father to do what only He can do. And even if He doesn't answer all our prayers exactly the way we want, we trust that He may give us something better, something sweeter, something deeper. Paul prayed to the Lord three times to remove this, this thorn from my flesh. But God didn't do it. But rather, he responded, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Maybe the thing we've been praying for that we think might make us sufficient, might make us whole, might make us complete, that thing might be denied by God in order that God can give us a deeper taste and a deeper experience of himself. And that we might depend more wholly upon him and trust in him to be our all in all. God himself is the best answer to any prayer. When we pray together, God is exalted. God answers our prayers and we become more godly as our hearts are shaped more and submitted more to him. Third and lastly, let's consider How should we pray together? Point number three, how should we pray together? Briefly, three things I want us to consider. Context, content, and commitment. First, context. We should pray together in different contexts, in various settings, both in formal worship services like this one and in informal settings. I think we see that throughout the book of Acts. The, the church devoted themselves to praying together, for instance, in the temple when they all gathered together for corporate worship. But they also prayed together in other settings. Uh, the disciples and others prayed in the upper room we just read of in, in Acts 1. Or, or the believers praying together for Peter's release in Acts 12. They did that in one of their homes. Or even consider Acts chapter 16, verse 25, where we read that, that Paul and Silas Use the prison cell to hold a prayer meeting. We should pray together wherever we are. So friends, we we very much mean to fill some of our time in all of our services praying together. But consider how you can carry that practice over to other settings. When you have other brothers and sisters over for dinner, consider taking some of the time together to pray together. Or when you go out to lunch, don't just pray over the meal. Spend some time praying for one another and for the needs of the church. I've been with some of you who've done that faithfully. Even when you come here on Sunday mornings, praying together doesn't need to end when the service ends. As you talk with each other after the service, get prayer requests from one another. And pray right then, the, the two of you or four of you or six of you together for what was just shared. When you talk with another member on the phone, the one or two of you that ever use the phone nowadays. Before you hang up the phone, 
pray together. I got one brother I talked to. He will not let me off the phone before he prays with me. What a good model. Pray together in all kinds of contexts. Second, consider content. When we pray together, what should we say? What should we pray about? Well, everything. I mean, I think we see in Acts that they pray for a number of different things. Maybe more helpfully, let's point out some specifics. First, pray God's word back to him. We heard our sister Ava just talk about a testimony of just reading God's words back to him. Right? We saw back in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus spoke to the disciples and promised to, to send the Holy Spirit. And then they went and they prayed, seemingly asking God to do what he promised. Lord, you told us to go to Jerusalem and wait for the sending of the Spirit. Well, here we are in Jerusalem. Send your spirit as you said you would. And in Acts 2, he did. Or more explicitly, in Acts 4 that we just read, we, we saw the church pray. And did you notice there the direct quotation from God's word? If you look at Acts chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, you'll see they insert a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. They use God's word to pray to God. Saints, we should do the same. Pray with open eyes and with an open Bible. God loves to hear his word. He loves to be true to his promises. Pray the Bible back to him. If you need help learning how to do that, come to evening service. We've been doing just that, practicing praying through the Bible. In the hallway, if you didn't get one at the members meeting a couple weeks ago, or if you are visiting, we've got some copies of Don Uh, Whitney's little book, Praying the Bible, which is a really good resource. You can take that book and use it as a good tool. Use all kinds of resources. The Bible is authoritative, but all kinds of resources to help you pray together. When you send someone a news clip or a news headline, sure, comment on it, but but also use it to call upon the name of the Lord together. Lord, stop all these carjackings and all these killings we're seeing in PG and in D.C., Lord, help this pastor we just read about who's confessed infidelity or some kind of sin. Help him and his his family and their their church. That is, use the news not to put other people down, but to lift them up to the Lord together in prayer. Use the church directory as you meet up with members to, to pray for other members. Adam's printing some copies of that, some updated copies of that membership directory in a couple of weeks. Uh, Keep that copy in your Bible and then take that Bible with you when you go meet with other brothers and sisters as a reminder to pull out that directory and and pray together. Pray a page of that directory together for other members. Use the church covenant or the church budget or the church bulletin as prayer guides when you get together. The commitments we've made in our covenant, pray with one another that we be faithful in keeping those. Hold on to, to the little copies of our, 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 uh, our budget. I thought I had a copy of my Bible. Hold on to the copies of the, the budgets you get at the members' meetings. Right? Carry those around. And when you meet together, pull those out and praise God for his faithfulness in providing for us. Amen. Pray to God for the areas that we've fallen a little short. Right? Ask God to, to help us to be good givers and good stewards of the resources he's already given us. Take the bulletin as you get together on on Saturday mornings, maybe for breakfast. Take maybe five or ten minutes as you eat and talk to pray together through the bulletin. Pray for the singers, pray for Joe and the music team and for the songs they'll lead us in. 
Pray for the brother or sister who read the scripture or do the prayer of praise or confession. Pray through the scripture reading passage. Pray for the sermon passage. Pray for the preaching of God's word. Use everything to pray about everything together. And pray all kinds of prayers about everything together. As Paul told Timothy, make supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings for all kinds of people. Perhaps you've you've heard the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. Not not the book of the Bible we've been studying, but a method of praying together. So the A stands for adoration, the C stands for confession, the T stands for thanksgiving, the S for supplication. Or, or asking. So, so praise God for who he is and what he's done. Praise him for his character and for his majesty as we, we did in a prayer of praise earlier. Confess sins as we often do corporately in our services for how far we fall short of God's glory. How sinful we are in light of his holiness. Thank God for sending his son Jesus Christ to lay down his life for sinners like us so that we might be saved. Thank him for his daily provision of food and clothing and shelter and all other kinds of needs. And then make supplication. Ask God to give you spiritual strength, to meet physical needs, to comfort the brokenhearted and to break the hardhearted. Fill your prayers with adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication and scriptures and all kinds of other resources to help us pray together. Lastly, just consider the commitment to keep doing this. The commitment to keep praying together. It's going to take some commitments. Commitment to keep meeting together and to prioritize praying when we meet. We need commitment to it because prayer is so counterintuitive. It seems so stagnant, like we aren't doing anything. But we are. We're leaning on the Lord to do everything. We need commitment to it because prayer seems so anti-missional. I mean, there's thousands, millions of lost people out there who need help. Okay, Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. We need to be committed to committing everything to God in prayer together and waiting on and worshiping the Lord as he moves our hearts and moves things around in the world as answers to our prayers. God's people are a praying people, and God is a providing God. Let's pray to him even now. Lord, we thank you for your promise that you will satisfy and sustain us, give us everything needful for our life, for holiness, for strength. Lord, we thank you that you allow us to, to talk with you. What a privilege, Lord, to talk to the highest being in all the universe, to talk to the one who created the universe. Oh, Lord, what a privilege it is to do that together. Help us to learn from one another, to pray more faithfully, to pray more uh, diligently. Lord, help us to, to be a people whose first instinct is to pray, not to worry, but to pray. Not to be prideful, but to pray. And Lord, we pray that you would hear our prayers and answer us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who loves us and who gave himself for us. In his name we pray. Amen.